Ayers on the Road, Parenting in a Modern World. Here's Richard and Linda Ayer. Hello, parents. It's Richard and Linda Ayer on Ayers on the Road. And uh, sometimes we're so much on the road, we're not even in the same place, as is the case today. So I'm calling in on one phone. Linda's calling in on another. Neither of us have the foggiest idea what the other one wants to talk about today. So it should be very, very exciting. Well, I think that it's pretty obvious that we need to start off talking about our friend Stephen Covey's funeral. Well, that's probably right. We spent Saturday there, and uh, Linda, why don't you launch into that? And and if you're out there listening thinking, wait a minute, what does that have to do with parenting and families? It has everything to do with it. It was absolutely an amazing event. Um, I don't think it was Saturday, though, honey. Oh, maybe it it was was Saturday. It was was Saturday, and it was wonderful. It was an incredible thing. They they also have nine children. They're about 12 years ahead of us. And actually, the Cubbies have been dear friends for many, many years. They gave us marriage advice um, when we were just babies, dating, engaged. And uh, We were, we were in our early to... 20s. They were in their mid-30s, and they seemed, Stephen and Sandra Covey, seemed old to us. Isn't that something? <laughs> <laughs> That's true. I'd kind of forgotten about that. But and now, they always and now they were so insightful, so interesting. So when we so everything is like a preview for us. When we got married, they'd been married 12 years. When we had our first child, they had a 12-year-old. When we had our second child, they had a 12-year-old and a 14-year-old. So they always had advice for us, partly because they're such great parents. And by the way, does anyone? Do you think anyone needs us to introduce Stephen Covey, or do you think every listener in the world would know exactly who we're talking about, honey? Well, interestingly, he's maybe known better outside of our little uh, Intermountain West area than um, he. He, be, he may be better known throughout the world because wherever we traveled and. We have been on five round-the-world speaking tours, and everywhere we travel, whether it was Taiwan, whether it was um, Thailand or China, Australia, everywhere, as soon as we mention Stephen Covey, in fact, um, the funny thing is they would come to us and say, you know Stephen Covey? Oh, my gosh. Then from that moment on, everything we said was golden because they adore this <laughs> That's right. And I think the place where Stephen Covey was maybe, believe it or not, most famous was in India. People would flock around him like a rock star. In fact, one of the things that came out was this was it actually in the funeral, or did they tell us uh, another point, Linda, that about the time that Stephen tried to get away from the, his fans by going into the bathroom? And that didn't work. Uh, he was sitting in, in one of the stalls, and right away someone slid a book under the door of the stall. Could you please sign, Mr. Covey? Mr. Covey, could you please sign? So he did and passed it back out, and then a big line formed. <laughs> and he, you know, from the toilet, signed a whole lot of books. 
Uh, now, now you may think, wow, we're talking about a funeral here. That's a little irreverent. But I thought the great thing about the funeral was that it was a little irreverent, not in not in a, a negative way, but just in the way that there was a lot of humor, and it was really a celebration, not only of a man but of the contributions he made throughout the world to so, so, so many people. And and some of you may read our column, the column Linda and I do in the Deseret News, and, and uh, this week we wrote about Stephen and about how he is our parenting mentor. He is, I mean, a lot of people think of you and I, Linda, as parenting experts. It's a term we don't use or like to use because what would that be since every kid is different? But whenever whenever we get called parenting experts or parenting gurus, I cringe a little, but I'll tell you what, there really was a guru who knew about parenting and who taught us so many things about families, about raising children, about having initiative and resourcefulness within a family, about having family mission statements, on and on and on. The list goes on, and that was Stephen Covey. And, of course, his wife, Sandra, who, frankly, didn't get enough credit because she was a a partner with Stephen. And uh, the biggest testament to their parenting was their nine children who, by the way, stood up at the funeral in unison and lined up behind the podium and stepped forward one at a time to tell these marvelous experiences about their father, Stephen Covey, and about how how amazing he was, not, not how perfect he was. In fact, some of the most touching stories, I thought, Linda, were about times when he'd lost his temper a little or he'd blamed the wrong kid for something and how quick he was to repent to ask forgiveness of the child even a little child and that's something yeah, parents I, don't do nearly I thought often that was, enough i thought that was amazing in fact that one of the kids said that he often prepared a family um meeting i mean every, they, the family had a family meeting every monday night but he would prepare a two-hour lesson. I mean, I don't know whether that was tongue-in-cheek or not, but a long, long lesson. And he said we would get pretty rowdy, and pretty soon we weren't listening very well because it was pretty doctrinally based, and he would just get mad and leave. He would just go. And they would all sit there and look at each other like, oh, shoot, what should we do now? And they would run after him and, and beg him well, to come back. Well, their mother, Sandra, would say, oh, now you've really hurt your father's feelings, kids. And then then they'd run out and say, we're sorry, come back in and teach us the rest of the lesson. <laughs> and then the funny part was that he did come back, and then after about another hour they would get ready again, and he would leave again. Honestly, it was <laughs> so interesting. But the fact that he was trying so hard with each child, I think the thing that I learned most was how how important the one was to him, whether it was the one child or the one person that needed him at that moment uh, in their neighborhood or in the church or whatever. It was absolutely incredible how many kids said that they he took them out on the Honda for their little ride and, and how this one uh, little daughter said, that she was riding around with her dad on the Honda in the neighborhood where they always went, and I think she was only six or seven, and then he kind of went over into another neighborhood, and she said, Oh, Daddy, don't go in another neighborhood. It would be so embarrassing. 
And he said, well, why would it be embarrassing? And she said, because you're so bald. And <laughs> it was the first time he realized that she was even aware that he was bald. But um, just such real stories. It was just amazing. In fact, I have to say my favorite story because I love mothers and um I, I know that Sandra is a champion of mothers, and I know that Stephen Covey is a champion of mothers. And and uh, one of the da- married daughters with four little kids, very young preschoolers, um, a handful, called one day crying, saying, "Daddy, I, Dad, I just don't know if I can do this. I, I don't think I can do this anymore. I can't do everything. There's so many things that I, I feel like I need to do, and I'm never getting to them. I just can't get anything done in the day. And he said, Maria... Throw away your Franklin Covey planner (laughs) and just tend to the children. And I thought that was really interesting. For those of you who don't know, um, the Franklin Covey planner was, you know, a day-by-day planner that's just magnificent to get things done. And he was just saying, just forget all that. Just the most important thing you're doing right now is taking care of these little children. You are creating lives and helping them be the best they can be, and that's the most important thing. In case you're just tuning in, this is Richard and Linda Iyer on the road talking about our mentor, our parenting Paragon, our advisor for these many years, for for over 40 years, and that is Stephen Covey, who whose funeral was this past weekend, and who we are still thinking about and will do for the rest of our lives when it comes to all the things he taught us about how to raise children and how to have strong families. We used to go down to Provo a couple of times a year, and we'd go as often as we could find him in town. He was so, so busy, and we would usually have dinner, the four of us, at China Lily's. Uh, He loved Chinese food, and, you know, I would say, Stephen, where have you been this last week? Well, I've been... I've been one-on-one with Nelson Mandela in Johannesburg, South Africa, or, well, I've just come from Camp David where I was uh, coaching and teaching uh, President Clinton, or I've just come from a Fortune 100 company where I taught all of their senior management. But then, and he'd say that very matter-of-factly, and then he'd say, but let's not talk about that. Let's talk about our families And I think that's where his heart always was, Linda. In fact, as much as I love the book Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, I think he wrote a better book than that, and and you might guess what it is, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. And I always thought, even when he was speaking to business groups, that his, his best stories, his best examples, his best sort of anecdotes that brought home the points of his seven habits always had to do with his own family. He was what he said he was. He walked his talk. He, he, in fact, one of the things that his brother said, his brother John at his funeral, it really touched me, was that, you know, the, what you need to know about my brother Stephen is that he, he was as good in private as he was in public. In fact, he was better in private than he was in public and that that is quite a thing to say it truly is in fact you know i was so impressed with so many of the kids that told stories about how deeply spiritual he was how much time he spent on his knees 
with God and conversing and figuring things out and listening and working through things which and it comes in it comes through his books and and going along with what you said Richard uh, his youngest son Josh said uh, these very words he was what you thought he was you know so often we see the public persona and then in private you know it's not quite the same but he was absolutely magnificent on the uh, with his family and on the one by one one to one I'll give you a quick example of the micro being the metaphor for the macro, and then we'll take a brief break, and then we'll come back and talk some more about our parenting mentor, Stephen Covey. Um, Someone was telling me about being in India, again, where he was very, very revered and popular, and uh, (laughs) this was a major corporate executive, and he was having a pep talk or a rally for all of his employees. And, and he said, we have got to keep it green and clean, green and clean. We must keep it green and clean. And the funny thing is that that, that, that little phrase comes from a story Stephen loved to tell about helping his son be motivated to, to do his job, his family job, because his family job was to mow the backyard and keep the, the grass mowed and keep the rubbish away and keep it green and clean. And, and Stephen had told a lot of stories about motivation and incentive and resourcefulness. And so here this large corporate leader was invoking the same motto on his employees. So Stephen Covey, a man who taught the world but whose main priority was teaching his children. We'll be back after this break with more about our parenting mentor, Stephen Covey. And we're back. Um, I wish we had an hour today to, to tell you the wonderful things that we learned. I think nobody walked out of that funeral without feeling like, I can do better, I can be better. And what a magnificent man this was to be an example to us. Um, well, I think you know, you're right. They, I think it. You, I think one of the things the funeral did for me and for a lot of people who were there. By the way, it was a large funeral. They held it in the basketball arena at uh, Utah Valley uh, University. But I think I think people walked out feeling he was human. I mean, it's interesting because sometimes funerals almost deify a person. I mean, they almost make him larger than life. Well, Stephen was larger than life in many ways, but the funeral actually humanized him. I mean, people thought, oh, you know, he wasn't perfect. He got mad at his kids sometimes when he shouldn't have. He sometimes blamed the wrong one. He he had a little bit of a temper. He uh, was a little too competitive. And all those things endear him to people because they say, wow, if he if he could be the man he was and the example he was and you know he wasn't perfect and maybe there's some hope for me and i i think that's a a kind of a thing we've always tried to preach linda that you know you're never going to be perfect as a parent you're never going to get everything right you're never going to always come up with the right solution at the right moment and most of all your kids are never going to be what you want them to be in every regard. There's always going to be a space between the ideal and the reality. And that's okay. We're all human. We just all keep trying. We keep doing the best we can. And we understand that we're the only ones that have to parent our kids. So, And, and you could see it in his kids as they stood up there. Now the oldest is, 
is uh, the oldest two or three are in their 50s, and the youngest ones are in their 30s. And there they are, and, you know, they're real people living real lives, having their own struggle with their own children. By the way, they have a lot of, they put us to shame when it comes to grandchildren, 54 grandchildren from those nine children. And the, the grandchildren sang, I am a child of God, a touching, heart-rending rendition. And uh, it, it was beautiful. And I think they were all there. I think all 54 grandchildren were actually there. But it was, we, we were sitting behind a wonderful woman who, who was Stephen's literary agent. She's a, a, a woman from Dallas, Texas, and spends a lot of time in New York City, one of the leading literary agents in the world. And she also happens to be our literary agent. In fact, Stephen is the one who put us on to her or put her on to us, and she has helped us with our books for years. But it was interesting to watch her because she's, she's, the, she's one who's seen Stephen on the world stage but who didn't know as intimately some of the details of his family and of things that were close by. And she was really touched. She was, especially by these grandchildren singing and so on, and she turned around once and said to me, this is really a celebration. It's, this is not a sad occasion. This is a celebration of a, of a marvelous man and a wonderful life. And for those of you who may not know, he did have a terrible bicycle accident about three months ago in April, and it really uh, affected him, his brain. There was a brain bleed, and he uh, was not able to talk very much. It affected his speech and his memory and so on. And, and we've been so concerned and so saddened thinking about this brilliant mind being closed down by this brain bleed. and have been so sad. So in a lot of ways, this was a huge blessing to him and to his family to be released from that body. And um, his passing was apparently truly amazing. It was so fun to talk to the kids one-on-one. And, uh, of course, they're so sad. And, of course, they wish that he could stay with them longer, but not in the condition he was in. And so, you know, it really is um, a testament to an amazing, amazing life. And well, and it, it's important that, to mention too, Linda, just on that note, that they all, when he began to get worse and they had to rush him to the hospital, he was at a wonderful summer place where the family always has their reunion, Lake Hebkin up in West Yellowstone in, in Montana, and they rushed him to the hospital in Idaho Falls, and all the kids were were scattered, but they all made it, all nine of his children. And that was his dream, or that was his wish and his hope to be surrounded by all of his children when he passed. And they, they all made it there. One of them very narrowly made it, had to charter a private plane and almost didn't make it, but they were all there. And then I, I'm sure his other dream was that his children would all be all in unison and all loving of each other, that there'd be no rifts or no no uh, unresolved problems between his children. And it was obvious that there were none. I mean, there they all were, standing together, arm in arm, giving these tributes to him. And the love between them for each other was palpable. And, and what greater gift to a parent than to have children, all of whom 
love each other and have that love endure after after you pass on yourself. So, so I guess that's the fruits, Linda. I mean, and and again, you have to be careful when you say things like that because a lot of wonderful parents do have a child who's estranged or who's yeah. disappeared or whatever. And and then please, parents, if that's your situation, don't blame yourself. There, there's so many different situations and. Children come as who they are, and, you know, we all do the best with what we have. But nonetheless, if anyone ever deserved the blessing of a united family, it was Stephen Covey. And, and he has, he, he had that blessing, and he still has it. Yeah, it was so obvious that they all adored each other, even standing in the line by the casket and walking up and down the line, uh, you know, talking to people as as they came in, it was just so palpable, that love that they had for each other. It was just so wonderful. But also, you know, his brother mentioned that he had asked him at one point, so Stephen, what is your mission statement, your personal mission statement? Because as most of you listeners know, he was the mission statement guru. He's the one that got us going on our family mission statement and personal mission statements. And his brother said there were just three words that he seemed very clear about and which I think he truly accomplished. And it was release human potential. And those of you who know him know that that was what he was about. And he changed so many lives. Our children, we had our one of our sons with us that absolutely has read every single thing and memorized most of what he's done because <clears throat> what he did really touched people's lives. It was true. It was full of integrity. It was had so much value that people could see that. It didn't matter where they were from, all over the world, they could tell this is right and true and this is what I want for myself and I can do it. And I think that was his goal in life, to release that human human potential. Yeah, in fact, you know, that was actually his definition of leadership, is to release human potential. And and leadership was his, his, his great word, you know. Uh, he, he, in fact... There's programs now in literally thousands of schools called the Leader in You, which is an effort to to teach the principles that Stephen taught to young children in in the schools where they go, and and it's a wonderfully successful program. So there's no question that his work will will outlast him and go on and on. In fact, someone I was talking to there said, "Wouldn't it be wonderful if?" Stephen Covey became a little like, oh, C.S. Lewis or Victor Hugo or other great thinkers who who actually sold more books after they were dead than while they were still alive. And that, that is conceivable with Stephen because what he taught were, were, were classic principles, what he called true north, things that never vary, they never change, and... I think I'm going to pass on one thing to you listeners that was that was not mentioned at the funeral. There's a private message or, or or principle that Stephen taught to Linda and I. I'm sure he wouldn't mind because it was something he believed in and it has directly to do with families and with parenting, which is the the point and the subject of, of this weekly show. So one time we were there talking to him, and he and it had he was referring to this wonderful Lake Hebgen, where 
he and his family spend uh, their reunions each year. And I guess what's interesting about it is that there are a lot of families who have been going there for a long time, even even multi-generations, and so they've known each other as families, extended families, for many years. And he made an observation I've never been able to forget, nor would I want to forget it. He said he'd observed that uh, among the families that he liked and that he respected and that were there all the time each, each summer, he was able in his own categorization, in his own mind, to put them in three groups. There were the families that seemed to be primarily church-centered. In other words, everything centered around the church, going to church, participating in the church, being active in the church, and so on. The second category was families who seemed to him to be family-centered. The core was the family. The family traditions, the family outings, the family uh, togetherness, and so on. And, of course, he admired both of those qualities, the church-centered ones and the family-centered ones. But he said there was a third category, and his, again, I don't think he went around telling people they were in a category or whatever, but in his own mind, there was another group of families which he felt were Christ-centered, they, they they certainly went to church and they certainly cared about their families, but their center, their core, their orientation, if you will, their true north in his vernacular uh, was the Savior, was Christ. And, and here was his observation, and, and you'll probably not forget it either, just like I haven't. The ones, the families that had stayed together, the families that had the most mutual respect that had that had sort of had staying power if you will as a family that had lasted were the third category those whose center was Christ those whose core revolved around the savior and around belief in Christ and an effort to follow him and uh, I, I'll always remember that, and I hope we can make that true in our family. Certainly the church is important. Whatever church you go to is important. And certainly your own family culture and traditions are, are tremendously important. But in his view, Stephen Covey's view, those things should be less important and in somewhat in subjection to the core of focus, which should be Christ. Well, just to end on a little lighter note, which uh, obviously we believe that ourselves as well, and we so appreciate all that the Cubbies have taught us through the years, but um, just on a little lighter note, they also told some hilarious stories. Um, what Josh, their youngest son again, said that he flew in. He, didn't, he told us this uh, before the funeral started. He said he flew in in a helicopter because he was the quarterback in the high school game, and I think it was a final game and so on. So he flew in on a nearby Stephen field in a helicopter. His, yeah, and, Stephen flew in to attend Joshua's football game. Right. Right. And also, uh, he at one point uh, was changing places with his wife. He'd been sleeping in the back and then on a long road trip. And it was her turn to sleep in the back. So she got out of the car and then was kind of rearranging herself. When he drove off, he thought she got in, and she did not get in. It was in the middle of the winter, and she was standing there in her blue velour um, outfit and with stocking feet on the side of the freeway. <laughs> 
it took them a long time to uh, stop him. The police finally came along, found her, and called him, and he said, well, he said, do you know where your wife is? And he said, well, yes, just a minute. Um, just a minute. I'll wake her up. And he said, no, she's sitting here beside me. Turn around, Mr. Covey. We have her by the side of the freeway. <laughs> and so there were some great lighter moments as well and some fun and funny stories that just, again, humanize him and this wonderful family. And you realize, you know, they make goof-ups and do crazy things just like all of us do. But what a magnificent man and what a tremendous family he's created as a legacy. And really, Leave a Legacy was his great um, thought, his great wish for everyone to leave a legacy. And, wow, what we saw there was an amazing legacy, don't you think? Absolutely. And so, you know, it's amazing how fast the half hour goes, Linda, but we're we're out of time, but may we just close on a kind of a, a joyful yet somber note. The world this past week lost a great leader in Stephen Covey, but what remains are his teachings and his principles that we can all follow, particularly as parents, as we raise our children. May we all do our best in that is our hope, and we'll see you all next week on Ayers on the Road.